the rise and fall of an empire. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Mike Kermode here with Darren Prasad, and welcome to another episode of Canucks Mafia. What's up, everybody? Canucks Mafia back in the house here today. Episode 53, I've got Mike Kermode here with me as always. Mike, how are you doing? Hey, Darren, doing well, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I think I'm doing better when I'm not watching the Canucks. <laughs> I think I think that's the general consensus. I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm, you know, hanging out with my family. I'm, I'm seeing you know, doing things I enjoy doing. And then, and then I turn on a Canucks game and, and I think my mood dips a little bit, but, um, but uh, I guess that's the situation we're all in right now. Right. So. Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, if, if nothing else, you, you can choose between watching a Canucks game or putting on a comedy movie because both are good for some good laughs. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's true. That's yeah. True. It's kind of gotten to that point, you know, where it's, uh, it's probably one of the lower. I mean, for for a handful of seasons in a row now, you know, the the Canucks seasons are so up and down. There's these pendulum swings. Um, they go on a run, they go on a tear, then they just absolutely shit the bed. And you'd think think things can't get worse or can't get any lower. Um, and then at some point in the next twelve months, it does get lower, right? So. Right now is one of those low points for sure. Three losses in a row. Uh, just nothing really inspiring or, 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 or hopeful as a fan base to kind of be watching what's going on and, and feeling good about the direction or where things are going, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's probably – that's the bleakest, you know, aspect of this whole thing because – and I think that's why – people talk about a rebuild and, and, you know, planning for the future and kind of focusing on the future because you're, yes, it comes with a lot of losing, but you have something at the end of the tunnel to kind of cling on to. And, and, you know, it gives you that hope because right now, I mean, you're losing anyways, like you're trying to win, like you're literally trying to make the playoffs uh, and, and I mean, there's maybe they're like ownership might think this team's a contender or one piece away from a contender. Like you're literally trying to do those things and you're, you're closer to the bottom five of the standings than you are to a wildcard spot, 37 or 38. I don't know how many games they played, but for, you know, 38 games in or 37 games into the season, like it's, it's ridiculous. So, you know, you're losing anyways. And, and you couple that with the fact that, that there's no, real hope coming in the pipe like what what you know game changing young assets are in the pipeline for this organization i mean i mean like i i just i don't see anything like there's just this big giant void right so yeah i i agree with you i think the fact that you know there isn't really anything for canucks fans you know to look forward to from from a 
from a, hey, this guy's, you know, yeah, we're losing now, but, you know, we've got this stud defenseman or this, you know, these, these, this new, you know, crop of young players that can be our next core coming, right? Exactly. And then, you know, this year in particular, too, something that you could look forward to being Canucks are the eighth worst team in the league right now, right? A couple more losses, you're, you're getting down to that bottom five. This is the year where that's more exciting. Right. I mean, there was a lot of talk about that a couple of years ago when Lafreniere was a rookie. Well, Lafreniere is nowhere near the prospect what Connor Bedard is, right? Like Connor Bedard's a franchise changing generational talent. Um, so it, it could be that, you know, being a bad team this year uh, provides some hope and some excitement because you're like, oh my God, we're in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. But the mandate of this organization from, from the owner down to, to, to management isn't at all. There's no talk about, you know, taking a step back or um, potentially doing a rebuild or even just, just this year alone. Okay. You know what? We're clearly not a, a contender this year. So let's sell off some assets. Let's, let's essentially try to be bad and, and get ourselves the best position to get Bedard. Right. Um, that would be hopeful. I think for a lot of the fan base, even the, the dummies who have been proven wrong for so many years are starting to say like, holy cow, this, this is bleak, man. Uh, something needs to be done. Things need, changes need to be had. Right. And so if, if this team, I guarantee you, if, if Aquilini came out tomorrow and sent out a little press release, just saying, look, we realize this is not the year. Um, I think our focus needs to be on on recouping some picks and getting younger and shedding some salary um, and starting to build through the draft this year. I think 90% of the fan base would finally be on the same page and say, good, that's great. That's what, that's what we need here. Um, and I mean, to put that in perspective, the last time 90% of the fan base has been on the same page is you tell me, I, can, I don't I can't yeah. even think about it. Maybe <laughs> yeah. when we're all cheering for the Canucks to win the cup in 2011. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's two things at play with what you said there. And and I, I agree. I think, you know, I think there's two reasons as to why that hasn't happened yet. Number one, I think it's it's all about money, right? And I think there's obviously been, you know, several you know, groups and people and, you know, talking about, hey, like, unless revenue starts dipping for the Canucks, unless it actually hits the pocketbook of, you know, the Aquilinis, and it's visibly noticeable that, hey, this team's starting to lose money um, or not make as much money as it should or it, it once did, I think that's a huge factor, um, obviously. I mean, it all it, it's a business at the end of the day. Secondly, I think... I think that they, I think there's a complete lack of understanding of this market. Like, I think there's almost like a complete disconnect between this market. Because if the fear is that we're going to do a rebuild and the building is going to be empty and no one's going to care and every, and there's going to be nothing to get excited about and, and the team's going to have, you know, 6,000 people in the building every day, it's just not it's just not true. Like it's just not an accurate representation of this market. Like this is a smart hockey market, right? This is a market with fans. 
Well, I, I mean, look, it's, it's a Canadian hockey market where people pay a lot of attention, right? Look, I think every, every fan base is going to have fans that are homers, right? Where, I mean, Leafs fans, I'm sure if you, I'm sure if we spent two months looking at Leafs Twitter, we would see, Hey, you know, there's, there's some people who are like super, you know, realistic about the team. And then there are certain people who are, you know, the team can do no wrong. Right. Like the team can do no wrong. So I think I, I think this fan base is able to Canadian base, not all Canadian fan bases have enough intelligent people in it to see like, hey, there's some hope here. Right. Like, yeah, they're losing right now. They're, you know, they're probably not going to be good next year or the year after. But man, they've got, you know, it, even if you don't get Bedard, you get Fantilli, you get you know, maybe maybe you get Michkov a bit later in the Leo in the, Carlson. In the draft. Real, yeah, it's like a there's really good draft. It's a really really good draft, right? So I I, I think there's enough intelligence um, in all Canadian hockey markets to understand that a rebuild is necessary, and if there and if there were was one to actually take place, um, man, I think it would be so much better. And like, think of the atmosphere in the building. Like, look at how quickly the building turns on the team. And, and rightfully so. I'm not blaming the fans. I mean, you got the team has to give the fans something to cheer for. But, like, the vibe in the building is so toxic at home. Oh, yeah. I right? mean, they're, so, boo- they're booing JT Miller. They're throwing jerseys on the ice fairly regularly. They sell the team chants. And, I mean, the funny thing about that is these are the people who are paying money to essentially Francisco saying, here, take my money, keep making money off of us, but I'm mad. And the stupid thing is, is the only way that it's going to truly affect Frankie is if you stop paying the money. So it's good. I mean, we've seen in the past Jersey tosses and stuff like it gets attention. Um, But end of the day, we know what this guy's all about. And we know there's only one way to to truly affect him and that is in the pocketbook um i do think it's fitting that it's episode 53 uh and we have a guy on our roster wearing number 53 who's having a career year and is you know in the news non-stop and 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 for 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 positive reasons in the sense that it's because he's having a really good year right so that's obviously bo horvat and his his production's up. He's tied for third in the whole NHL in goals. He's he's got 28 goals. He's tied with a guy that, uh, you know, probably everyone's grandparents, whether they watch hockey or not, has has heard of Alex Ovechkin, absolute superstar, right? So he's he, he's he's up in that realm um, this year, and of course, in true Canucks fashion they've kind of shot themselves in the foot. They, they, they can't really afford him. Uh, not that, that paying him is necessarily the, the best choice at this moment. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, prioritizing JT Miller over Bo by signing Miller to the big contract and kind of leaving Bo as this lame duck on his contract year. Um, so, I mean, what, what, what do you do here? Uh, if you're the Canucks, what what do you yeah. do here? What what's the best way to approach this going forward? Do you try to try to keep finding a way to sign this guy 
um, who's coming, like going to have his career year. Um, I think I know your answer, but let's hear it from you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if they didn't sign JT, I would be a lot more open to keeping Bo. The, the thing with keeping Bo is that, like, I think, like you said, he's had an unbelievable year. He scored, I mean, if you even look at the last 82 games, he scored, I think it's 52 goals in the last 82 games, right? So he's just been on a complete, you know, heater. And it's not, you know, a two-month hot streak or, a you know, something like 10-game, you know, 10 or 20-game streak here. Like, we're talking a significant portion of time. The other thing about Bo that I think um, it's been mentioned, but I think he deserves a lot of credit for you know, recognizing and saying, hey, look, I want to be a better goal scorer. I want to be a better offensive player in this league. Um, funnily enough, uh, he ended up working with a guy, you know, named Adam Oates, uh, you know, who more more known for his distributing and his playmaking than his maybe his goal scoring. Um, but I mean, regardless, Bo said, hey, look, I identified a, an area in my game that I want to be better at. Um and, you know, I think he's he's one of the best um, on deflection goals and tip-in goals in the league right now. Um, that's an area that that it looks like he, he worked on. I mean, his shot, um, you know, it's been reported that he worked on his shot as well. So, like, you know. I think he's it's a, evident. Yeah, yeah. Like, look at. Like shot is just more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we just started off this episode talking about how the Canucks have to rebuild. Um, you know, so as much as it will kind of, as much as it'll be weird um, and, you know, shitty to kind of see a guy like Bo go. Um, I just think you have to, you have to absolutely maximize the value of this asset and he needs to be dealt. And if I'm the Canucks, I would move him as soon as like his value. Like he's, he's, he's tied for third, like you said, in goal scored in the NHL. Like I don't see how his value improves from, Today, I think the the risk only increases, you know, like you said, of injury or maybe he goes on a slump or something like that. You know, his value is just not going to get any higher than it is today. There's still, what, six weeks or ish or something, maybe a little bit more till the trade deadline. I don't know, March 3rd, I believe, um, you know, six to eight weeks. So, man, that's a long time to risk him hanging around here. And and you know, in in true Canucks fashion, being a being a Canucks fan, I mean, the risk of injury is there. So, um, I mean, yeah. So my answer is, you have to move him, and 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 not only do you have to move him, I think the trade has to be a future looking trade. Like this whole message from Alvin and and Rutherford about, hey, we want to have young players, you know, under the age of twenty five or twenty six, whatever age they use. That's not really like Jim Benning did that. Like Jim Benning did that with like Lyndon Vay and, you know, some of these other guys that he acquired that, um, yeah, you know, Clen Denning, right? Like acquiring these guys where he thought, oh, you know what? You know, these guys have already developed. So now they're ready to just step into our lineup and, and, and become stars or become, you know, legit NHL players. And it didn't work out. So I think it has to be, you have to deal Bo and it has to be a future oriented deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fear is, and we've heard the reports out there, that it's not a future-oriented deal. They're looking for NHL players right now. Uh, you know, I think their age, at least, is, is a benefit. They're not looking 
to replace Bo with another 28-year-old. But, I mean, it's just we, we've just seen this all far too often, and it, it's just so hard to understand how, you know, the fan base, the smart ones at least, have known this for years. Even the dumb ones are coming around to it. But yet our management and ownership just still can't see it. The last people, you know, you, you have media all over Canada, the national media, the Freedmans, the um, Chris Johnson's, the Frank Cerevelli's, all, all of yeah. these people are now talking about. They're, they're basically echoing the things that I feel like I've been saying for five years you know, talking about the direction of this team and the mistakes that they make and the doubling down and all these things. And it's like everyone is coming on board and starting to see it now, right? But our management and our ownership are, are just, they just can't. Um, so it's just, it's its frustrating. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't <laughs> understand what, you know, you're the eighth worst team in the league. We've been here it's probably about the average range we've been in for the last eight years. And yet we trade away first and second round picks and we try to acquire NHL talent. Like it's not working guys. It's not yeah. working. Well, the change thing that the makes course. No sense. The thing that and, makes no sense is like, if you're trying to still make the playoffs, like if you're dealing with Bo Horvat and saying, we want to, we want to make the playoffs next year. How are you better by dealing Bo Horvat? Like top six, say what you want about Bo Horvat. Like he's having an amazing goal scoring year. I, I know he has some warts in his game. He's not a perfect NHL player. Like I get it, right? But you don't like top six NHL centers that produce, you know, even, even 30 goals, you know, 25 to 35 goals, 55 to 60 points, you know, almost 60% of the face-off circle, plays matchup minutes, all that kind of stuff. Like, those guys don't grow on trees. Like, who are you finding? Who are you finding to replace Bo Horvat, right? And even if you do find somebody to replace Bo, Bo Horvat, what that means is that you've then dealt Bo to replace Bo, but your defense still sucks. So you haven't addressed the 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 D, right? So it's like, none of that makes any sense. Like, trying to trade Bo to then continue this weird depressing cycle of just trying to squeak into the last playoff spot. It, it, it's all it does making a hockey win now trade for Bo uh, using Bo to do that. It just keeps you in this perpetual cycle of mediocrity. Like I, I, I think that's very clear. No, a hundred percent. And we saw, we saw the exact same thing with the Miller situation, right? We finally had this trade piece in it that made nothing but sense to deal. Nothing but sense. Oh, we finally have this guy who's, you know, last year Miller was considered one of the better players in the league production wise anyway. Um, and so you finally are sitting on this opportunity to, to fire this guy out, trade him away. And, and gain some pieces that in two, three, four years are going to be extremely helpful and they're going to be inexpensive. And, and you know, you, you can finally start this, uh, like you said, just kind of changing the pattern and um, giving the fans some hope and probably giving, like, I don't know. It's just, and, and then we saw how they dealt with that, right? And that was the first major decision by this new management. Um, 
and it, it sh- you know there's a lot of reports that that's that was completely on Aquilini. Uh, he mandated that signing. What's going to change? That's what I don't get. So, you know, if we end up trading Bo Horvat for a 24-year-old center who maybe was once a, a first-round pick but has kind of been this tweener between the AHL and NHL so far, and maybe a, a D-man who, same thing, maybe a D-man who has some upside but's never really put it together um, and a second-round pick or something, how does, how does that alter the, the, the franchise going forward? How does that give the fan base hope that, hey, in three or four years, we might be able to finally contend? It's just another, like you said, this perpetual cycle. Um, and it's just, there's no way the team will ever get better. And I think all of us, even the, even the one, I mean, I'm guilty of it now. I, I make quite a bit of money betting on the Canucks when they have a lead. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't believe that they're going to hang on to it. Yeah, and they often yeah. don't, um, you know, I, I think the better option for this franchise is the Canucks finish as the bottom three team this year. So am I hoping that they lose hockey games? Yeah, I am. And people can say all they want. Oh, you're not a fan then. No, I am a fan. I want this team to become a contender, right? Like you said, to start the show, this team has been an awful team for almost a decade while trying to win. So what's the difference now if we go five more years of losing, but at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel for the first time in a decade. Have a a direction, right? Exactly. So, you know, we dropped the ball with Miller. And I mean, there's a lot of talk about Miller right now, right? Like obviously his production is down. His five on five numbers are abysmal. Uh, Luke Shen, I just read this today. Luke Shen has more five on five assists than JT Miller this year. Yeah, that's wild. That's that's right. In in no circumstance is that okay. Um, JT Miller's attitude is in question. There's there's both the behind the scenes stuff that we don't see, and then there's the stuff we do see: yelling at teammates, snapping on the ice, uh, stop skating, not back checking, not picking up your men defensively, and then the fact that he he has a lack of self awareness. He's clueless enough that he's publicly saying in in media scrums and responding to reporters' questions that, well, my production's down because my defensive game is stronger and I'm focusing on my defensive game when fans and media alike have been literally pointing out almost nightly incidences in which his defensive awareness, his effort, all of these things are really, really lacking. So, I mean... the cycle of every offseason kind of having at least one move that just hinders the future of this team continued with this new management with the JT Miller signing. You know, before that, it was the OEL trade. Uh, before that, the Poolman signing and the Meyer signing and, and and all these. I mean, choosing Pearson over Quinn Hughes and or prior to, prioritizing Pearson's contract over Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. Like, the list goes on every year. So I would just hate for this year's to add to that list being something Horvat related, whether you don't trade him and he walks for nothing (laughs) or whether you trade him for, you know, guys like we were talking about guys that you're, they're trying to still win the, make the playoffs this year with like these things have ramifications for far more than this season. Yeah. I I would, I would say, uh... 
I, I, I think the decision the organization makes with Bo is, is an inflection point for a lot of people. Right. I think that most people are obviously still disappointed and rightfully so with with the, the organization, the overall direction of the organization, the outlook, you know, the future, the decisions management you know, has made all of that kind of stuff. Right. Um, however, I do think that if they make the right decision with Bo, which is to deal him for future assets, I think there's a there's a significant chance that they can a turn start turning around the future of the organization which we've covered but also you know give the fan base a collective sense of like okay I I we think they get it or they're starting to get it right if they make the right decision if they make the wrong decision which is either which is bucking up and re-signing him, like caving to his contract demands and somehow, you know, making Bo Horvat an eight, you know, eight, eight point five, nine million nine million dollar player. Um, or they deal him for win now assets. Or like you said, I, I think that this scenario where he walks for nothing is I'm not gonna say it's impossible. I think that just being a Canucks fan, you always, you always you always have the worst maybe happening in the back of your mind. But I think there's a very, very minute, minute chance. Once again, not saying it's impossible, but I think I think that's there's a minute chance of that happening. Um, but yeah, I, I think what they do with Bo is really it's 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 a it's a franchise defining move. Honestly, it really is. Like I don't want to, I don't want to sound like like I'm I'm overselling in here, but I don't think I am because what they do with Bo is going to tell you and me, everybody. Do these guys get it? Or is does ownership get it? Or are they still going to be doing what they're doing for the next one year, two years, five years, seven years, right? Which is just constantly thinking about today but and it, saying, it "Hey, we won, that... we won three games. You know, we we won three games in a row back in December, so we must be close." Like, is that what's going to keep going on? But hasn't that question already been answered? I mean, it has. The the Miller signing, I I agree. Like that, that was, I mean, you and I both, I mean, said a million times on the podcast, like that the right move was to trade JT. Like absolutely, right. So I think when when they signed him, I think that you're right. I think that was that was a clear indicator that like, hey, we're kind of back to your regularly scheduled programming, which is just you know doing whatever this organization's been doing. I don't even want to call it a plan because it doesn't even look like a plan. Um, but you know, they kind of have, they have a, a, they have a mulligan in a way to kind of like get this back on track because they have a significant asset that they can now do the right thing with. Like they have an opportunity to get this back on the rails. It's your, it's your guess as good as mine as to whether or not they'll do it. I mean, honestly, like it, it seems as though it seems as though there hasn't been enough learning done here um, from this ownership group to kind of see it. Right. And, you know, and, and kind of getting back to the JT Miller conversation, like, I mean, it's, it's really bad. Like things are really, really bad. Like his extension hasn't even kicked in yet. Like it's so it's, you know, he's just, he's making himself out to be a guy that you just don't want to have as part of your core group. 
right? And obviously, we're not in the room. Like, we're not in the room. We don't know all the details. But there's been enough smoke and enough reporting and enough sources out there um, where you have to take it seriously. And just his body language. We don't have to be in the room to see his body language on the ice. We don't have to be in the room to see how he treats his teammates, right? I mean, look, you you don't think that Thatcher Demko or Colin Delia or Quinn Hughes could freak out publicly on the ice at JT Miller about all the shitty back passes he makes and all the times he stops back checking. Exactly. Right? He's not the he's not the only guy that can dole out criticism. In fact, he probably deserves more defensive zone criticism than anybody on the team. Except for Tyler Myers, but yeah. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> well my well the thing with Myers is like, you know, at the end of the day, Myers just is Myers just is what he is. Like Myers is just I mean it at the end of the day, like Tyler Myers was handed a lot more money than he ever should have been handed, and and he took it. So I mean, that's a that's a you know JT earned. Like say what you want about JT, but like a ninety nine point season is going to get you paid. It's just the Canucks shouldn't have been the team that paid him. That's yeah. the thing, right? Yeah. No. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're at the point with. I know we all we were all excited about the new management and you know it was a clean slate and uh, but but they don't get the, they don't get an auto pass right like they're they're one big thing they've done a couple good things Ethan Bear Trade was great uh, getting rid of Hamannick was great um, but <clears throat> ultimately they they had one major piece and they screwed up that decision. And now we're at that point again where it's almost the same situation, right? Um, you have this one guy, uh, he's having a career year. He's going to be highly touted around the league. And it's a franchise-defining trade in a way. And if they drop the ball again on this deal, then the future of this franchise is just is screwed. And there's no way that any fan going forward can say, Oh, I feel good about this management group Um, because they'd be over two on major, major things. Right now. It's just, I I mean, you look at this, you look at this franchise and there's been talk for years about, Oh, well, we can just trade Tyler Myers. Um, And there's been some reports. I don't know where they've stemmed from or come from that, you know, some teams are interested in Tyler Myers. Now, do we do we know if that means the Canucks need to throw a second-round pick in with Myers for a seventh-round pick, and that's the interest that is out there? We don't know, right? Um, we have seen teams out there. Perfect example is Hamannick last year, just uh, borderline liability on the ice. Uh, sounds like a liability in the dressing room um, and on a poor contract, but some team traded for him. So... It gives you a little bit of hope that maybe, maybe some team out there is 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 watching Tyler Myers saying, "Hey, this guy could help our hockey team." Now you'd have to question the sanity of those of those people, but um, but when you look at the Canucks, you look at the Canucks salary cap chart, right? How many players are either on good value deals or fair value deals? Right, and there's so few, man. There's just there's way too many overpaid players to ever be able to compete in a salary cap world, right? Like I would argue that Pedersen and Hughes are on fair deals. I'd argue that 
Thatcher Demko is on a value contract. Thatcher Demko mm-hmm. is a value contract. I'd agree with that. Although he wasn't, he hasn't been good this year. But yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, and I mean, it's a it's a unique situation with the whole Andre Kuzmenko thing. But obviously, value contract mm-hmm. this year. Um, <clears throat> Bo Horvat this year is on a value contract based on his production, but that contract starting next year, whoever decides is going to change. It's going to be bad. It's going to be, it's going to be borderline Miller. Like, right. You got JT Miller seven more years after this one at $8 million. And he's only in his age 29 year. And we're watching the decline like that. That's, that's going to be one of the worst contracts in hockey in probably three years is, is my prediction. Um, Brock Besser. What has he done? He's been awful. This guy has been just straight up bad. He's been a non-factor almost all season. Six point six five. Yeah, that the, the the Besser one. I mean, we could we could spend you know twenty minutes just talking about Brock Besser and what's happened to his career. But I mean, the the Besser one is one that the Canucks were backed into a corner on that one. I mean. You know, that one with this qualifying offer and just the way his contract was structured, I, I think they did, they probably did what they could have done. I mean, I don't think anyone predicted he would be this ineffective, like this, it's just not even noticeable. Like he doesn't no. even, he doesn't He's even like... look dangerous. Like he, he looks like a, he looks like a fourth line player most of the night. Tell like me, he... tell me the difference between Brock Besser and Jack Studnika. Yeah, or Lane Peterson right now. Like there just really? isn't. There really isn't. Like no, so. I you're 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 on a a path that I was. You know, we were looking at this before we started recording here, and you know, we talked about some of these bad deals on the team. So you look at you know Tanner Pearson, Tyler Myers, Tucker Pullman, um, Brock Besser, and I'm gonna lump Con- Connor Garland in there as well. Hundred who, who like has not looked like a fit here at any point. I, I think Connor Garland is a better player than he has been here. I just don't think it's ever going to work it here, but so I'm going to lump it's him just, there. It's not dangerous. Yeah. You know, yeah. he so gets it, the puck and he skates around and he twirls and he hangs onto the puck a while, a while which helps his analytics. Yeah. As our buddy and Andy Parr always says the analytics Gretzky. Yeah. Analytics Gretzky. Yeah. But, but the, the reality is he's not a dangerous player out there at all. Nothing really ever happens when he has the puck. He hasn't been a needle mover. He hasn't moved the needle enough for, no. the, for the Canucks. Right. So if you take those guys and one, at two, five million a year, five, you gotta, you gotta be able to move the needle yeah. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so those five guys, Pearson, Myers, Pullman, Garland, Besser, that's approximately, 24 to 25 million dollars in cap space right which you're getting under significantly underperforming com- relative to the value of those contracts right are you not throwing you're not going to throw oel in there well here's the thing i'm not going to throw oel in there only because i don't think he's movable i think these other five guys in some way shape or form are realistically movable like Tanner Pearson, you'd up, you'd have to attract, you'd have to add an asset to move him. However, it, is it a first round pick? Probably not. It's probably a second or a third. So I don't think they should do it. I think you just take your medicine on that, and I think you let the contract expire and you call it a day. However, is he realistically movable? Sure, if you were willing to pay the price. Tyler Myers, after that five million dollars signing bonus is paid, I actually think they could move him. I think that's and and they've tried. Um, Rick Dollywall and 
a bunch of other people who we know who have sources and that have been very um, accurate in the past have said they've tried. Like they've really tried to move Tyler Myers. Just they, they aren't willing to pay the price to move his contract right now. Tucker Pullman, uh, that's debatable whether or not he's movable, but I'll add no, him in here. He's not movable, um, but, but, I, I, but he, best he, case scenario is he just he just rots on LTIR. He, he, and... he, he retires. I mean, hopefully his health gets better and, and – that's you know, and that's that's another cool. thing too is like we haven't talked about the luck in a sense that Canucks have had, and it sucks On to LTIR. talk about. Oh, they're lucky because of people's health, but you know that Furlan contract when that was signed was just was obviously a terrible deal, and right. thank God they haven't really had to to to. You know that that contract really hasn't been on the books the whole time Furlan's been a part of the Canucks, and right. and Poolman is kind of trending in that direction as well, right? So that's lucky yeah. when you sign two awful contracts and somehow they're kind of disappeared into the abyss because of LTIR. Like Canucks are very lucky on that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree that I mean they they've been I mean without Furlan on LTIR, I mean I don't I don't. That would have just completely. They didn't have a lot of cap flexibility to begin with, but if they didn't have that. I, I honestly don't know what they probably would have had to ditch another draft pick, at least to be able to free up some cap space to to do some of the things they wanted to do. Right. So I mean, 100%. there's zero chance in this league. It is so hard to win in this league. It's in a hard cap league. It's all about maximizing the value of as many dollars as possible, right? You can get away with maybe one bad contract, maybe two, but you're probably only allowed like one bad contract. The rest of I, your, if you, if you want to contend, if you want to compete for a Stanley Cup, you cannot have $25 million, which is 30%, a third of your salary cap. You cannot have a third of your salary cap be tied to underperforming players. And once again, that 30% number is $25 million. That is without OEL or JT Miller. Like you can't, you just can't. Like it's it's inconceivable to think that that you can make, that, that you can tinker. And that's what this team, that's the message this team has sent out lately has been, oh, you know what? If we just tinker around the edges, we've got this great core to, to build around, right? No, this team is not a tinker here or a tinker there away from contending like there's there's no chance so i mean i've said it before like you can't screw up managing the salary cap as badly as the canucks have and live in some fantasy land that you're still going to be able to contend like they've tried to ditch all of these bad contracts and i mean look there's been six or seven trades all year the canucks have made three of them the Canucks have been the most active team, the most active team on the trade market all year, but they haven't been big trades. No one's making big trades. There's no salary being moved in the NHL. Like if you want to ditch Connor Garland, sure, but you're going to have to take 4 million back probably. Or, mm -hmm. So what's the point? Like literally what's the point? You're going to have to take contracted term back. And that's the shitty situation that the Canucks have found themselves in because of moves that the Benning regime made. But also moves that, like you said, the JT Miller signing. This management group got that wrong, and they deserve criticism on that. They've got an opportunity to start fixing it with the Bo Horvat deal. Let's see if they take the opportunity. And I think that's why it's so important for, you know, in any league at any level, when you take over 
you, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. You have to look at what you got and say, okay, at best, we're three years away from competing here because of the poor contracts, because of the situation I took over, because of, you know, Jim Benning was one of the probably top five worst GMs of all time in NHL history. So you look at, say, a Connor Garland contract. You take over that team and you say, man, I would have never signed this guy to that contract. So here he is sitting just below five and like just below five million, four point nine five. So call him a five million dollar player for four more seasons. So in order to maximize value on a return with him, I'm going to have to find a team who's in win now position, who is paying a guy five million dollars or potentially a little more, or a little less, whatever, around $5 million, um, whom is very um, underperforming his contract. Like a team would just love to get out from under, right? Um, I wish I had an example in front of me right now, but if there was a guy who was on contract for five more years, or sorry, two more years at $5 million, and Connor Garland is under contract for four more years at $5 million. Do we just make that trade? Even though Gar- Garland's a better player than this guy right now and maybe has better production, even though Garland's production is low. Like I'm talking, think about like an Andrew Ladd from a couple years ago or something, right? Right. Do I just make that trade so that we are now two years closer to getting out of that money? You know, I think so. I, I think so. Like, I, I think you I, have to. I, exactly, right? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, how many guys on the Canucks would I would I accept a seventh-round pick back for? Yeah. And the list is insane. The list include Brock Besser, JT Miller, Connor Garland. And this, Tyler I mean, Myers. obviously... Obviously, Jenner we're going to do that for the guys like Sheldon Drees and shit. So I'm not yeah. even going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tyler Myers, Oliver Ekman Larson, Travis Dermott, Riley Stillman, yeah. Spencer yeah. Martin, Tanner Pearson. Yeah. I, I don't There's nine or 10 guys right there that I would happily take a seventh round pick, which means I'm or giving nothing. them away. Or, yeah, or literally, literally giving them away. I don't, well, I don't well, even the, want anything in return for these players. I, Just I agree. get them off our books. I agree. And and look, like the Canucks, unfortunately, like with Garland and Besser, I mean, they've got two two assets, or I don't even know if you want to call them assets because they don't really have any value right now. Um, that are in the least valuable category right now, which is scoring wingers, right? Like we've seen over the course of the last year and a half, two years, scoring wingers are the most overvalued, sorry, um, you know, they're, they're the least valuable assets right now. Like look at, look at, you know, Vegas literally giving, they couldn't even give Max Pacioretty away. They gave him away for free, right? He can still play. Like Pacioretty can play. Oliver Bjorkstrand was literally, I don't know, what was it? A third and a fourth round pick or something like that. He was a 20 yeah. goal, 25 goal scorer. Jacob Vrana, I know there's other issues with Jacob Vrana. There's whatever, but but he's still a relatively young when he's on his game, a good goal scorer. He didn't even get claimed on waivers, and primarily because there was only six teams that had the cap space to claim him. But it's like these are the types of players that don't hold any value right now. 
like scoring wingers are just the least valuable types of pieces that you want to attach salary and term to. Um, yeah. And, and, and the that's Can- Canucks load it up on them and then they stop scoring. Right. So they're right. not even scoring wingers, they're yeah. just wingers. <laughs> I mean, one one that yeah, I mean one that's one that has worked out is is Mikheyev. I think he's I mean, you can say whatever you want about the contract, which I think is, you know, obviously was was I, I think we both called it a an overpayment to a slight overpayment somewhere in there. Um, whether or not it's just what happens when guys go to free agency, <laughs> that there's always sort of a bump and that you're gonna pay a bit more of a premium. But he's been, I think, actually pretty good yeah it's <laughs> actually been been a better finisher than i thought he would be like he's he scored some nice goals and and um i think he's been a positive addition but but yeah i mean like you know unfortunately they have all this money tied up and i just but but like i said the, the Bo horvat situation that's going to define what happens in the direction this organization is going and you know we're still probably i mean in true Canucks fashion, they're going to leave it right up until the deadline. You know, other teams may get out in front of it and move them today or tomorrow or next week. But um, I have a feeling this is going to go right till the deadline, and, and that that's when we're going to find out. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's fair that as Canucks fans, we uh, don't have the confidence that the right things are going to be done and that the return is going to be uh, what we expect or what it should be. Um, and until, until there's a move or two or, you know, any, any flash of this kind of stuff changing, I think the, you know, Canucks fans are, are, aren't to be blamed for feeling that way. So, um, I think Darren, uh, you know, we're 45 minutes here, so it's the time to go, but I do want to just say that we, uh, probably, <clears throat> I'm not maybe maybe by our next recording, but we have some things in the works, uh, a cool partnership, uh, sponsorship with, with with a company that uh, both of you and I really believe in. So yeah, that, that's absolutely. been a big thing for us. Is you know we've had lots of offers for for sponsors and whatnot, but it's not really ever been a product or anything that we believe in or stand by. So we finally found that uh, that good match for us, um, and uh, yeah, so so. Uh, let's just say that starting next week or the week after we will be having a betting segment, uh, on our show every, every episode. Um, and yeah, obviously, absolutely. obviously we'll, we'll, we'll try to keep it Canucks related. Uh, but given that the Canucks don't play every night, if we're wanting to, to, to bet every night, uh, we may have to go around the league. So excited to, uh, <clears throat> implement this new segment on our show and uh introduce our new partnership absolutely man yeah uh we we're kind of finalizing a couple of those details right now but uh yeah i would say i agree with you mike in the next week or two here we'll yeah we'll we'll share that news uh out out in the world with everybody but uh until then mike it was great uh, great chatting with you as always and uh thanks for listening everybody and we'll catch you guys on the next episode here. Ooh.